Turn up the radio and sing along. It's time for another great song. This is the Great Song Podcast. Season's greetings and welcome once again to the Great Song Podcast. I'm Rob Alley. I am Jimmy Motor. And we're here to celebrate the greatest songs in modern music history. We're going to tell you what makes them great, why we think they're awesome, and why you should too. JP, how you doing today, man? Man, I am doing fantastic. So this is week two of the behind-the-scenes artists, and we aren't losing any steam no. as we're speaking with the band leader, which we're yes. going to call this one, of arguably the great... Let me let me phrase this differently. The ultimate compliment to be asked to be the band leader for this artist. Yeah. He is Prince's band leader. That's right. I he, mean, come on. Yes. He, this is... Okay, so our friend today is Philip Lassiter, who is an 11-time Grammy winner, former arranger and horn section leader for Prince. Goodness gracious. He arranged horns on so many of your favorite albums. It, it would take so much time to even list them all. Ariana Grande, Kirk Franklin, Timbaland, Roberta Flack, Jill Scott. I'm talking this this list goes on forever. Natalie Grant. It's like so random. All, all these things he's done. John P. Key. Got my John P. Oh, Key things out there somewhere. There Come we on. go. Um, so, but, but I, I, we're, we're going to talk to Philip. Philip and us connected on a very deep level. We oh, have yeah. Very similar backgrounds. We speak a very similar language. Um, but musically, this guy is just on another level and his music will fill you with so much joy i cannot <laughs> tell you just go listen pick pick his latest album is called live in love um he's got he's working on a live album right now that's going to be fantastic and i can't wait to hear it um but like he's just got this sense of humor in his songwriting um and he doesn't take himself too seriously it gets as funky as you can possibly get and it's also as smooth and soulful. He's got an album called Chill Mode that will just just put on when you need some like lo-fi work music or or to like I don't know make love to or like get high with I don't know <laughs> whatever you it can handle many of your needs. Okay? All the John P. Key fans are like, what are we talking about? <laughs> he did John P. Key. Well, that's that's just part of the package of Philip Lasseter. Okay, we'll get more into it, and it will all become clear in our interview. So let me play you a couple of clips, and then we're going to get straight to our interview with Philip Lasseter. This is Poof from the album Live in Love. Ugh, it's so nasty. <laughs> That's him on trumpet. He's the trumpet stack master. <laughs> Insane keyboard player. Trauma, trauma. Oh, my God. You're like cold as iron. I tried to score you. But I'm very boring. Ain't got no time for the push. You can't make me lose it. I pull a yoga move and make shit shit like this. Bro, come on! Uh, this this man is insane. Let me I mean, let me play the second verse of that real quick. Where or it's like a, it's his little rap verse. Okay, you're gonna love this. It was a golden weary night, and I was walking seven blocks. Franklin Avenue, right off the C train stop. Should have took a cab, because it was only five bucks. But I was clearly holding on to my coins. I'm walking swiftly now, because I can feel the heat from behind. I got my trumpet on my body. See, I'm back and was mine. And now this dude is saying, 
Ah, my ex-girl's rape whistle. All right. Anyway, the, let me tell you, every emotion you could possibly feel, <laughs> Philip will get you there, okay? Um, we, I, I, we talk in the interview about the, the first time that I heard him, I went to a snarky puppy show, uh, not having any idea who it was. And we saw his name on the marquee and was like, who is that guy? Does he do Disney songs? <laughs> like, I, I don't know, you know, but, uh, but he comes, he comes on stage and the first thing he does is he hits these, he just starts kind of playing on the keyboard and then the band kicks in suddenly. Like we thought he was doing a sound check and the band just kicks into the beginning of this and it was just insane. Uh, I'm going to play you just the opening, uh, tones of set you free from the album dreams. <laughs> You want to talk about a room set immediately on fire. <laughs> Vocals. We're going down like this. Yeah. You can't run from your problems, so you gotta look them dead in the Good. This man is just uh, seriously one of my favorite artists to just listen to and take in and go. Good God, you're talented. Like, you know, it <laughs> yeah. just—he's got everything. The 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 smarts, the taste, the arrangement, uh, and the feel is unmatched in my opinion. So I'm so excited to talk to Philip Lassiter. We're gonna get right to that, and we'll be back on the other end to tuck you in, ladies and gentlemen. Here's Philip Lassiter. This is the Great Song Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, as promised, we are here with the man, the myth, the legend, Philip Lassiter, a zillion-time Grammy winner, uh, I can't even, musical genius off the charts. Uh, Philip, thank you so much for, for joining us for a few minutes today on the Great Song Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. I'm, su- I'm super hyped about it. So are we, are we at 11 Grammys now, or did a 12th hop in there somewhere? Eleven uh, times I've been cited as an arranger on Grammy-winning projects. Yes, it's a long title, that's but such yeah. a humble way to say that. I'd have just been like eleven, yeah. boom. Like, but that's, that's awesome, <laughs> yeah. man. I, I just okay. So I probably need to let the listeners know, and I think we've. I, I think I may have actually told this story a little bit on a on a way older episode of the show. Um, but the my introduction to Philip Lassiter was uh, I saw you in Atlanta opening for Snarky Puppy. Um, and had no idea who you were at the time. And I was with a couple other guys and we're all, you know, basically you can assume if you're going to a snarky puppy concert, you're kind of a music snob, you know? (laughs) Right. So we're like, so we're like, who's this dude? You know, who's, who's (laughs) Philip Lassiter? And (laughs) and super white name. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Super Caucasian. The room, the room is packed. Uh, and, um, it's, uh, you know, it's smelling unique in there, you know, uh, and, oh, yeah, I remember that show. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, anyway, the, the, the band gets up on the stage and, and you come out and you're wearing like sunglasses and you've got your Nord set up and you start, you just hit, a, so you just hit a chord, you know, and we think you're checking your levels and you just hit, uh, uh, uh. And then the band kicks in to what I believe was set you free off the filthy record and, uh, um, and I mean off the, uh, dreams record. 
and um, the place just exploded. <laughs> Everybody went what? Uh, and the you know the uh, the uh, BGVs come in. Oh. oh. It just everybody went. What is happening? So right that was now? Rob's audition. He really secretly wants to be a BGV yeah. singer in the Philip last <laughs> yeah. year. Uh, yeah, yeah. And so from that moment on, I mean, I think you did like six or seven songs, and me and my friends are just looking at each other like, "Who?" It was one of those deals where we went to a snarky puppy show and left talking about the opener. You know what I mean? Uh, which is always you know, an, an impressive thing. So I just want to say seriously, like life changing moment for me, uh, catching you on that show. I'm, I'm so glad it was like that, you know, serendipitous. Um, oh, thing. thank you so much, Dang. man. Thank you. It really means a lot to hear you say that because, you know, those shows were super epic for me. Like those are my little brothers. And then they went and like took off and blew up on everybody. And, uh, and then they, they didn't forget about little old me. And, um, and they asked me to, you know, be a part of their label and then to, to tour around with them a little bit. And I got to kind of go from just hanging out by myself in my studio, playing on records to just like playing rooms like that in front of like, you know, 1200, 1500 people. So it's like from nothing to like, you know, feeling like a rock star. And then after six or seven shows, it was over for me. <laughs> I was back in my studio and like the years go by and I'm like, man, I really missed that. I want to get back to that. And, uh, you know, it's just like a whole other side of the coin. And then you, you, you start to think like, did any of that matter? Did, did I accomplish anything by doing that other than it was like a great time? Right. And so right. to hear people like, tell me like yeah i was at that philly show at the world cafe man or yeah i was at i was in atlanta i saw you it like it really it's cool because like every every single step of the way matters and you can see how it all just is like kind of part of the path that's getting me to where i'm i'm trying to get game that night you might not be getting to talk with rob and jp right so if, if, you'd, have, if you'd have bombed it'd yeah. been like eh. but since you brought it you get to hang out with us yeah. Yes, career destruction. Right. Yeah, would have been disastrous. Might, might only have a uh, ten Grammys. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh man. And so JP and I have a, an extra bit of connection with you that uh, you know I'm sure uh, a portion of your fan base does, which is the fact that we also come from Pentecostal backgrounds. So some <laughs> some of your uh, humor and some of your references, you know, we can really feel on a on a deep level, man. Yeah. I remember with this new album, uh, the first time I heard Repent, I howled in my car, dude. Yeah, I mean, funny. I howled and immediately called one of my friends and said, you have to listen to this song right away. We were meeting for lunch, and I was like, on the way, you got to put this song on repeat and listen to it. Uh, it's just, there's so much of that, like... Um, sort of a bubble Christian subculture, you know, and then, and then it gets even smaller when you're talking about like Pentecostal, whatever, you know, so, uh, some of that stuff is just really enjoyable. I always get a kick out of it. And I know you've had a kind of an up and down relationship maybe with, with gospel music and with the church. And we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit too. Um, but, uh, that stuff always, always cracks me up. Where do you, when you, is there a, is there a thing for you that goes, Maybe better not, like, if you get certain ideas or you just like, I'll say anything, whatever. <laughs> well, I've been writing with this guy, uh, this killer songwriter. His name is Brett Nolan in L.A. And um, we met and then we were like, 
just friends for like two or three years before we ever started writing together. And then um, he wrote a bunch of songs with me for the Party Crashers record. And then he wrote like six or seven tunes from this Live and Love record. And Brett's crazy. Like his dad wrote uh, Lady Marmalade. Oh, okay. okay. Well, all right. Yeah. You know, so Brett will say anything. And he's, he's pushing me at this point when we were writing Repent. He was really pushing me. And I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to say that, you know. And because uh, I got to think about my my audience, it's pretty wide, you know. And, and he's like, "You're filthy." <laughs> like, okay, I got to put something on the on this record that's a little bit filthy. So um, yeah, we we put it deep. We put this 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 song deep in the cut. And uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, it, it's a really fun song, man. And I think a lot of people can relate to it. It really is. And so I encourage you guys. Uh, I know uh, a lot of the people who are listening may not be familiar with Phil's. Uh, solo work, uh, you know what I mean? You've definitely heard his arrangements and you've definitely heard his horn, um, but you may not be familiar with the solo work. Go go deep in the in the uh, discography and you'll, you'll really enjoy it. There's some great, like everything from, um, you know, really like serious stuff or like the, just the vibes of like chill mode, um, you know, all the way to this really hyped up, fun, really funny uh, stuff. It really covers, you know, it covers everything. Um, go ahead. Rob mentioned, you know, some of your, uh, I guess, Pentecostal background and whatnot. You've done a lot of stuff with like Fred Hammond, John P. Key, Don, you know, Donald Arnold, Richard Smallwood. And then you've gone everywhere from there to like Big and Rich and Lee and Womack. Like, how does preparation for those two different, completely different, how does the preparation for each differ? Do you still prepare the same way or are you like, I need to get in a different mindset when I go in to do stuff with the. <laughs> <laughs> I just fly by the seat of my oh Pentecostal. My I fly by the seat of my Pentecostal pants. It's like, give me a key, or even don't. <laughs> yeah, you know, Big and Rich. That was pretty funny. Actually, it was it was John. Well, no, I've worked with both of those guys, uh, but separately. But it was just a session. I got called in, and they told me what to play, and I played it. Uh, Leanne Womack was a gig in Nashville. That was a lot of fun at Titan Stadium. Um, I haven't done a ton of country, but, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, they pay well. I like that. There we, hey, um, there we, hey. You know, there you go. country, country sells. Um, but, um, you know, um, it's, uh, I do a lot of black gospel music and that's kind of what's kept me, um, in, that's kept me kind of with one foot in the church, you know, um, ironically. And so, um, throughout my whole career, that's been the thing that's, that's paid the bills the most. And uh, it's been a blessing, honestly, because there's been times where I was like really needing to hear that encouragement and that positive message and that vibe, you know, and it was like there for me. So, you know, I always like to say, like, you know, I'm not super I'm not super religious or anything anymore, but um, I'm spiritual. I like to say, you know, don't throw the baby Jesus out with the (laughs) bathwater. Jesus is still all right with me. That's one thing I really love about your music is that it is, you know, it's, it gets, uh, uh, snarky if I can use the word and it gets, it gets, um, sarcastic, but it is all love. Like the whole tongue in cheek, but in a good way. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, and I think, I think live in love is a, is a perfect, uh, you know, album title for the new record because that's really what I I feel like you're going for is just, Hey everybody, let's just have a good time and party. Let's put all these differences aside. Let's just have a good time. You know? Um, so I think, I think that's really good. Definitely, because when I started this record, it was before the pandemic. It was way before the pandemic. And so I was actually um, going to call the record Baba Yaga, mm. which is like my favorite cut on the record. So good. Baba Yaga so good. is like, you know, 
the, the whole message behind it is kind of ambiguous and you got to dig into the lyrics to understand why we call the song Baba Yaga and what it what that means and everything and it's just during this time like it didn't it doesn't seem like the world needs a record called Baba Yaga with a witch on it what yeah. it needs <laughs> yeah. was live in love yeah you know yeah. with flying babies yeah <laughs> that, that album cover <laughs> So as somebody that you've been on a lot of albums, how do you pick the musicians that go on your album? Like on Make America Love Again, you got Charles Jones, you know, killer guitar lines between how do you go about picking your supporting cast? Is it people that you know and have worked with, or do you reach out for suggestions? Are you like, man, i who do you think I should enlist? It's here? mostly enlist people here? that I know and have worked with. Because for me it's um it's uh, a lot of times trying to Get people that I don't know on a record. It's um, it's uh, it's kind of kind of can be kind of strange, and and then there's just not that personal connection. I like to to know, especially for the features. You know, I like to know that these are people that that I uh, can really vibe with. You know, personally and musically. So like we wrote the songs. I mean, um, and then we did the sessions, and then I had the sessions, and then I. I still didn't know who was going to sing on each song, you know, and some of the stuff I knew I was going to sing a little bit on. But then at the time, you know, I'm in L.A. and I'm surrounded by like some of the best singers in the world. And I was like, you know, I, I think I want to make this a features album. And then I just started to ask people that, that I knew and, and really dug to come over to the house and like, you know, try stuff. And I think Charles was one of the first cats that came over. And um, and then Mackenzie, who um, sang Repent, he's like the star for the Prince and the New Power Generation tribute band. And uh, he's just like one of the coldest uh, front men I've ever, ever seen in my life. And then Duran Bernard, who uh, sang on Sugarcoat Me and Root Chakra. Duran sings with Erykah Badu. And again, just an incredible personality, incredible voice. Um, all these cats, uh, LeVance Coley, he's a LA native, just one of the most fabulous vocalists I've ever heard in my entire life, just a complete virtuoso. He sings the ballad, Light Me Up. I say the ballad because there's like one ballad on the whole record. <laughs> the ballad. The ballad. Yeah, man. Um, you know, and then of course, um, love to feature my lady. She's such an incredible, important part of my life and just a great singer and deserving. Yeah. That's a smart play too. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Always, always. Um, so uh, it's a good thing I didn't marry a bad singer. Not that I could. But, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And Mariah Maxwell, who is an uh, uh, incredible, incredibly talented young lady, preacher's kid from, uh, from D.C., went to Howard University, studied, and uh, one of our best friends in L.A., and she's the virtuoso that sang Baba Yaga and co-wrote it with us. She sang uh, with Kanye West and the choir, and she was a featured soloist. She was Mary in his uh, pageant, Mary. Um about uh, Jesus' mother. And um, <clears throat> and then, uh, you know, and then it was really great to get this legend, Juan Luis Guerra, yeah. on the record. Yeah. Um, Juan Luis Guerra, if, if you don't listen to Latin music, then you might not know who he is. Well, my wife is Mexican, so, like, her family's like, holy cow, Juan Luis Guerra. <laughs> like, they know that song. <laughs> right, 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 right. My wife's family didn't care anything that I played with Prince, but when they heard I, like, was friends with Juan Luis yeah. Guerra, they lost it. They had, like, the utmost... <laughs> Respect for me. I was like in there, brownie point. That's awesome. So That's um, awesome. if I may tell this quick story, um, Prince um, Prince passed away and they released the Montreux uh, Festival shows that we performed, right? Um, and they released them on YouTube. 
And Juan Luis Guerra is a is an is a horn arranger too, and he does all of his own arrangements for his band. A lot of people don't know that he's not just a singer, songwriter. He's a complete musician, like a Harry Connick Jr. kind of type. And um, and he saw the eleven piece horn section with Prince, and and he and he read the the credits, and he saw my name as the arranger uh, of the horn section, and he went to Instagram and started following me and started commenting. On my and I, and of course I know who he is because I played in salsa bands for years and my my ladies from Curacao in the Caribbean and well, that's all we listen to down there and so um, I told my I said I think Juan Luis Guetta just started following me on Instagram I didn't believe it and I went to there and there it is one point something million followers and I was like holy cow I'm in I'm in. yeah 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 he's commenting on my on my horn videos and stuff in Spanish and like you know it's, I'm like so we became friends uh he came to LA to do a show invited us to the show and we got to meet him in person and uh hang with him and then a little while later I was just like I just threw it out there just to see like hey you want to sing on my record and he was like yeah I'll sing on your record <laughs> So my wife and him are singing the title cut together as a duet, and it's a song that we wrote for our son Arrow when she was pregnant for him called Live in Love. It's about teaching children, you know, and, you know, teaching them right and wrong, showing them the way, the path. And um, and it's just a just an incredible, incredibly uh, beautiful experience working with him uh, and um, and just to have him on on the album with my wife singing a song about our son. It's just like. That's cool. really special. How'd you uh, how'd you get hooked up with Corey Wong? I saw your thing you did on April fifteenth with him. I'm a huge Corey Wong fan. Yeah, so and yeah, man, that was that was a super cool collab. Corey's doing a lot of great uh, great work for for soul and funk music, man. You know, Wolfpack yeah. did as well. You know, and uh, and then he just just launched straight straight out from there. Um, I met Corey like way before all that when I was with Prince because um, Wolfpack kind of hit like what. 2017 2018 yeah, like that, yeah. that was yeah, when they really like blew that, yeah. up mm-hmm. and um and so i met Corey like in 2000 and like 12 2013 um back when i was just starting with prince in minneapolis and i would go to this this uh, famous club called bunkers where like a lot of prince cats like former prince cats would like uh, they would play every Sunday night, and one of which was this legend, Michael Bland, who is my favorite drummer. He was Prince's, the best drummer that ever played with Prince, the real big guy. Mm-hmm. And so I would, we would all, a lot of the cats, we would go just to to hang with Michael and hear him play. And then they would invite us on stage, and we would jam with them and stuff. And so I met all of these local Minneapolis cats, and um, and Corey was in the band. And so that's how we met, man. He was just like this guitar player, like. Super smiley, super positive vibes, you know, <laughs> just just positive vibes, and then and then uh, and then all of a sudden, a few years later, you know, Volpex blowing up, and now he's blowing up. A lot of my friends play in that band as well, so I love I love to see them. It's pretty awesome. I do want to go back to Baba Yaga for a second because uh, I was listening to it again on the way up, and just just wondering. There's so much just like gorgeous melodic work uh, in that song in particular, but uh, you know, all over the place on the record. Try to have the things that you do. Suck all my hopes and take you to school. Exposure like a fool. Make me have to lose my cool. Um, how how much of how much of that stuff are you writing for the vocalists and how much is their like interpretation and intuition? 
You know, Baba Yaga was an interesting collaboration because there were four four writers on that. Um, it started with Robert Sput Seawright, who played drums on that, and yeah. and Sput, um, you know, he was the original drummer from uh, Snarky Puppy, but he's also a virtuoso keyboard player. So I went to Sput and was like, "Listen, man, I want to do some Jay Dilla stuff, but like, I'm not cool enough to make that kind of music. So like, <laughs> think about me and like, and make and think about Jay Dilla, and what would I do if I was gonna do some Jay Dilla." And I just sat there and watched him, and he made Poof, and he made uh, Baba Yaga. That's a good. Man. That's a good day. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was pretty cool. And so um, then I took, uh, the, and he did it just all, all there on his computer. And then I, I knew I was going to take all that, and we were going to recut it all with the band, mm-hmm. and uh, with Mono Neon and him on drums. And so I took that and then I just started like coming up with a bunch of mel- melodic ideas and like a lot of the the harmonies uh on the chorus, the the woos in the beginning, the oos and then the um uh, the the harmonies on the chorus and I was just singing ba 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 you know and a lot of the 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 vocal arrangement I kind of did myself but and I had even more of that on the verses and then when I got with my co-writers, I got with uh, Brett Nolan. Yeah, I was telling about it a second ago. We set out to write the tune and Brett came in and was like wanting to do all this kind of storytelling, chatty stuff as a solo on the verse. And I was like, no, 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 no. I've already got this. I've got this. Like, I want to do this ensemble thing. And he was like, yeah, but I just think you should do it. Like, And, I, and we kind of had like a, a spat about it. And and uh, I got pissed off and I just like turned it off and I was like, let's just make something else today. And we made Love Story. Wow. We wrote Love Story and then um, and then I thought about it some more and I called him up and I uh, was like, hey man, I want to give I want to give another crack at Bobby Yaga. I want to be more. I was like, I'm gonna be more open minded. I didn't say Bobby Yaga because it wasn't that song. I was like, you know, this song. Uh, I was like, I want to be more open-minded about it, and uh, but let's. I want to feature Mariah Maxwell on this tune, so let's bring her in, and the three of us will. So we got together, and and I was like, okay, Brett, do your thing. Like, I'll just mute my vocals here on the verses. Maybe we can use them on the chorus or whatever, and then uh, let's see what happens. And we started talking about it, and it's right around the time when like the R. Kelly thing was happening, and uh, we asked Mariah, I was like. Listen, we got to say something on this song. This track is so deep. We can't come out with just some like, you know, um, jolly kind of like happy go lucky kind of lyrics. We got to make a statement on this song. And so uh, I was like, Mariah, like, what are you feeling? What is your headspace? And um, she's like, you know, my headspace is this thing that's happening like right now with this R. Kelly thing. And um, <clears throat> it's really disturbing. And, and it's without being too on the nose. Um, we uh, we decided to 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 go there, and that and after um, a, a little bit of uh, <clears throat> conversing about it, Brett, total genius, he just shouted out Baba Yaga, and Mariah and I looked at each other like, what? Like, what is that? You know, we had no idea. He's like, come on, guys, Baba Yaga, look it up, Google it. He's like, it's the it's the Slavic fo- it's Slavic folklore, guys. Come, come on, on. Duh. everybody knows yeah. that. <laughs> everybody knows Slavic folklore. We're looking at each other. We're like, what? Is anybody going to get this? He's like, they'll look it up. And um, and then we uh, we did we committed to Baba Yaga. He's like, you can call me Baba Yaga. Yeah. And so he's like, yeah, she's the Baba Yaga, and and she's it's a it's a song about women's empowerment and about men who use their position of of authority to prey on women. 
And, uh, and that, that's how it was born. And so then we, uh, we started to come up with some of the melodies on the verses together. Um, and, uh, Brett's just, you know, spitting out lyrics as fast as any, we could write them down. And he and Mariah are doing a lot of that. And then, um, I remember before we got into verse two, I went over to my, to my Wurlitzer and was like, okay, on this break, I want to feature you, Mariah, because you've got this crazy range and technique. I was like, I want to do like a, like a scale climb, and I want to go up to like one of the highest. I was like, can you sing this note? <laughs> she, and she was just like, that note? And I was like, yeah. Of course you can sing it. And then I just kind of came up with it on the, you know. And, uh, and then uh, it, 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 it was something that was like she could totally do, but it also challenged her, which I think was just really, really great because not everybody can sing along at that point. It's kind of like an Esperanza Spalding moment yeah. in the song. And uh, it was, you know, I say all that to say it was a, it was a group effort. It came together. That's where when you're doing it, where live, when you're doing it as live, you older, as you get older, uh, gang vocal, uh, the gang crowd, vocal, the crowd. Hold the mic out into the crowd. Me. And then the crowd goes mild. Who are, okay, so for people who don't know you yet, you know, you are both a virtuoso on the trumpet and on the keys, a nasty keys player as well. Who are your, who are your favorite keys players? Bobby Sparks, okay. Bernard Wright, okay. Um, okay. Xavier Taplin, Dominic Xavier Taplin, he plays in Ghost Note. Okay. okay. Uh, um, you know, uh, David Page. Nice. There we go. Yeah, okay. okay. That's a- oh, yes. That's our, that's our guy. I, listen, I hopped on an Instagram live of yours. This was years ago at this point, I think, and you were playing the way it is, just sitting at your piano, and I was like, oh, I just – Kindred on, spirits. Man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then all the obvious great jazz piano players. I mean, all of them, every one. Yeah. I, I yeah. particularly have been really checking out um, Kenny Werner, and not just his playing, but also his uh, his Google Talks. And he uh, he really unlocked some some doors for me uh, psychologically as an improviser. So um, I, I highly recommend to anybody that has any kind of deal uh any kind of issues at all with improvising or um or 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 nerves to to go online and check out kenny werner and effortless mastery well that's cool great yeah when when you were first growing your chops on trumpet how much did you practice uh i i was not really much of a practicer honestly and you know because of that my my chops didn't really grow that much um don't let bruce hear you say that he's the he's the practice guy yeah. <laughs> you know I, I i just like i was i was naturally talented but i never really had a lot of range or endurance um i just had like an ability to like manipulate the instrument in a way that was like you know it was like i was singing and I think people connect with that. Um, and then uh, I, uh, I, I got into like transcription pretty heavy in college and that helped my vocabulary to grow. And uh, I was really just into music more than I was like necessarily into practicing trumpet. That part, like the nerdy thing came later. And, um, but I had a lot of struggles with my, uh, with my, with my setup. Uh, and uh, and that struggle has been um, has been real for for decades, and uh, until recently, I, I got hip to this visualizer, and and it kind of gives you the ability to see like what's happening 
with your lips. And, um, and that, that's really helped. And I've been working on that for like the past three months. I mean, I honestly, like really, really, I've only been a real practicer maybe in the last five years. Oh, wow. 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 That's up five, wow. six, seven years. Yeah. When I moved to LA, I became more of a practicer. Okay. There's always hope, kids. It's never too late to start <laughs> right. practicing. Never too late. Who's a who's the last artist you saw or heard for the first time that just blew you blew, like blew you away? The last artist that I saw would have been Juan Luis Guerra. Okay. Okay. Well, there you go. Okay. Well, there you go. Uh, yeah, Juan Luis Guerra. Um, you know, uh, right before COVID, um, I was hanging out a lot with this band Ghost Note. That uh, has Robert Sputzy right and uh, yeah, Mono Neon, Neon and right these here. cats and and that's like my favorite rhythm section in the world right now. They are definitely they're all kinds of do nasty. You, do you have a favorite Bruce Hornsby uh, iteration? Are you a Bruce Hornsby mm. in the range, or are you a Bruce Hornsby and the Noisemakers? Yeah, because me and Rob are that sort of in between. Or yeah, are, are you? I like moments from both. I like the range from the range. I like the obvious the way it is. And I like the old Valley road. Okay. Okay. Those are my two favorite, um, cuts because they're just the grooviest. Um, and I like grooves. Um, and then, uh, somebody's beating on my window. <laughs> Go Br- grab it. Could Go be Bruce it. Hornsby. Go ahead. We're traveling with Phil, you guys. And then, the, then I really like the hot house record and the jazz, you know, I really, really oh, yeah. dug the jazz record. That record changed my life. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I noticed uh, among your credits, I noticed uh, Hamilton with Barack Obama on there listed among your credits. Would that be the one last time 44 remix? Did you arrange the the nasty section at the end on that? Oh, is that like a like where it kind of goes gospel-y? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what it was. Oh, man. That's cool. That has to be, that's a cool credit to have, right? There's not many. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's not many people that are like, yeah, I arranged that track with Obama on it. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. My friend in uh, Dylan Meek in L.A., this great piano player, we would play gigs together, and he would always say, Phil Lasseter, he played with Obama. <laughs> How <laughs> many think? Prince, Obama, right? <laughs> How many presidents are recorded? I mean, right, not, not that right. many. Not that many. Yeah. I, I have only it, the cool ones. <laughs> I have at home some record that like. Reagan recorded. I a, it's like I have a full sp- length. I have a spoken JFK thing. Oh, that's upstairs. Cool. That's but anyway, yeah. Um, that'd be an interesting. That'd be an interesting. Just okay, like that's side another thing. Episode. We're gonna yeah. call you in a special guest on uh, <laughs> on our president's episode. Yeah. Oh <laughs> uh, um, man, you guys can have me on any time. <laughs> uh, okay, who's the fakest gospel artist? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No. Kidding. Kidding. no, 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 uh, no, uh, what, but what are what are some of the differences that that the, that the common man might understand between working with like artists in the gospel world versus working with artists in the quote unquote secular world? Get your money from the gospel artists before you do the work. Okay, okay. That is a, that's that's hot take. There you go. Yeah. Boom. There you go. Uh, <laughs> no, I just try to get I try to get the bread from everybody before I do the work, whether they're gospel or not. I don't know that there's any differences. Honestly, I mean, people are people. Like some of the some of the gospel people I work with are wonderful to work with and some of them are not and some of the people that i work with in the secular world are wonderful and some of them are not and i should probably say most of the people 
are not <laughs> wonderful to work with because we're in the music business sure. and the uh, entertainment industry is, you know, full of people who are not so wonderful to work with. I'll just be completely candid with you about that. But um, fortunately, there's there's a lot of really, really great people in in entertainment. It's just like a, a needle in a haystack, if you will. <laughs> you just got to find you got to be the magnet that pulls out the good ones, you know? You know, I've just I, I I used to really let things bother me and and uh and really have a lot of confrontations with people, but I've learned uh I learned early on to get the money ahead of time. Um because I've that that has just saved me a lot of headache. Um and then um and the other part of it is I've learned it took me a little bit longer to learn this part of it was just um, you know, to try to the the main goal for me is like I want them to want to call me back for the next gig, whether or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I want them to call me. That doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to pick up. <laughs> doesn't like, mean you'll you take the gig, saying? but you want all the offers that you can get. That's just smart business. Exactly, because at the end of the day, you know, I'm just trying to trying to make a living, and so yeah, you want all the offers you can get. So if uh, if if you if if you if you if you really keep it real, it's like David Chappelle when keeping it real goes wrong. You know, <laughs> if you keep it real with everybody, and you you know, then it just limits your uh, your options. But also, you want people to to recommend you. So like, one person can potentially represent you know dozens and dozens of gigs or like the biggest gig of your life. And if they if they don't like you, it doesn't really matter how much they respect you. If they don't like you, they're not going to recommend you. Yeah. yeah, and that's why we want to kill it with Philip Lasseter, Absolutely. so he can be like, "Man, you got to hang out with Robin JP." That's right. And it's like, yeah. yes, that's right. <laughs> we so as of now that we've talked to you in person, we now have a connection thread uh, between us, you, and another well-known trumpet-playing Phil, and that would be uh, Phil Driscoll. Phil Driscoll, uh, who <laughs> many of our listeners who many do, of our do you know who Phil Driscoll is? Do I know who Phil Driscoll? I, I had breakfast with I, Phil Driscoll. Okay. Okay. Man, um, I grew so, up yeah, on I'll Phil Driscoll. I grew up. I grew up. I seen him live a bunch of times. I grew up on him. Like he was the only trumpet player anybody cared about in the in the Pentecostal church. Absolutely. So Anytime true. anybody Absolutely. anywhere said, uh, I told anybody I played trumpet, they'd be like, "Do you like Phil Driscoll?" Right. That was like, you know. And then you get into college and you learn like there are other trumpet players <laughs> besides <laughs> Phil Driscoll. And then you get into them like Miles and like Lee Morgan and like all these cats and you realize like there's a lot of other trumpet players. And then every time we go into any church anywhere and somebody's like, you know, Phil Driscoll, (laughs) you want to strangle him. But man, Phil Driscoll, the best thing I ever heard him do, it was so killing his, uh, the patriotic album. album. It it was, it was, uh, America the Beautiful. I think that's the one that Uh, is, that was his uh, high. The highlight for me was super killing. I think the best Phil Driscoll joke he actually did himself because he had an album called I think it was called Plugged In or something like that, and he had just gotten hair plugs. And you could I was like, dude, Humble is cracking on himself. That's like amazing. When somebody when somebody sends you a track for arrangement or, or, or hires you to be an arranger for one of their tracks, when you first listen to their listen to the track, what are you listening for? When you're crafting your ideas, what's your thought process like? When you're when you're not to give away your trade secrets, but like you know, what do you what are you listening for? I'm listening for the lyrics. Okay, I mean, I'm listening okay. for like the vocals because 
And that's why I hate it when I don't have like all the vocals, like a lead vocal. If I sometimes I have no vocals, sometimes I just have background vocals, and then there's there's like moments where I'm just not sure what to do because I don't know where the vocals are going to sit. So I will usually do less. Yeah, because you don't want to step on the lead. I get that. So yeah, it's sure. your ideal track that they send you has a scratch vocal in the lead vocal. It's perfect for you. Yeah, I remember like the first Kirk Franklin record I did was the Hero record, and they had this song on there called "Could Have Been Me," and um, they it, it was one of those tracks where Kirk would just let the band come up with something, and then he would write the song later. Oh. And uh, they did that, and it was this really dope, dope track. And he gave it to me, and he was like, "Put horns on this," and I was like. Uh, you're going to put the vocals on it? He goes, there are no vocals yet. There's no song yet. Wow. Like, put horns where? <laughs> he was like, just go crazy. And I was like, and you'll make sense of it later. You'll mute stuff if it doesn't work. And he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I went completely bananas. <laughs> they left everything. And it wound up, ha- the song wound up happening. Two had, of course, the choir. Then had two lead singers ad-libbing and Kirk screaming like James Brown over the top of it. And my horn's just stepping on everything. Chaos. Organized chaos. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was a trip. It was a trip. That happens. So I'm, I'm going to cheat and steal some material from another podcast that I heard you on. Uh, and that is, if you wouldn't mind, please... Share the story about the time that you literally knocked Prince off his chair in the studio. <laughs> well, he was standing. Um, and um, so uh, basically he would, he would like, uh, there was this one week that we had um, of rehearsals and we were like in the basketball court. We were rehearsing in the basketball court with like the 20 piece band and um, I remember, I'll never forget that week because every day it was like Prince and myself dialoguing the whole day long. And I remember I would just be so drained, like emotionally and mentally, I would just go soak in the bathtub afterwards. Like I need a stiff drink and a bath. Um, because he was so like intense in a good way, like intense in the sense of the, just really focused Um you know, on, on the arrangements and, and nailing everything down. So I felt like I needed to match that intensity. And, um, and so I did my best to do that. And, you know, let's face it. I just wasn't used to working that hard. Like (laughs) I, I work on a track by myself. There's no accountability. It's like, you know, just me and my computer at my own pace usually takes me, you know, half a day and I'm done. And then I, you know, go to my, you know, goofy life as a musician with zero <laughs> accountability. And, um, you know, I was single at the, I was single at the time. So, uh, uh, now there's a little more accountability. And so this was, this was different for me, man, being in that, in that environment, like with, and then all my peers and everybody's watching and he's like asking me to do these things. Um, and I'm, I'm having to like execute them in front of everyone and him. And you want to impress the boss, you know, so you don't want to make a mistake and, and uh, he would ask me to voice out harmony sometimes for the 11 piece horn section. And I didn't have a keyboard near me. It was like there was a keyboard over at the piano player, but I didn't want to walk across the room and go over the piano. And like, I didn't want to make a, he asked, he asked me to do something. I just wanted to do it like right then and there in that moment, make it happen. Bam. Yeah. No waiting. Yeah. Right. And we want to impress the boss. 
And so, but there's 11 horn players and there's alto sax and tenor sax and trombones and trumpets, berry sax. So you've got all these different transpositions to think about. And I wasn't going to leave it up to them. I wasn't going to call everything out in concert and leave it up to them because don't leave it up to the horn section. Right. Um, and, uh, and so I was like, man, I remember when he first asked me to do this, I thought about it. I was like, what's the quickest way? What's, what's the quickest, most efficient way of doing this without, without there being any, any flaws, you know? And, um, so I figured out like, I know enough piano, I could see, I have enough stock voicings in my head, but I, I figured I would stay in my key, which is B flat. I'm holding a trumpet, so my ears connected the key of B flat, which is a whole step higher than concert, the piano, whole step higher, whole step higher than most everybody else. So what I would do is just look at, I would just go down the line and look at the first trumpet player and you go, you, I would say you, beep, and then I, he would write down my note, beep, you, beep. You, boop, you, boop, you, boop, you. And then I get down to the berries. I can't play that low. I'm saying berries, uh, play, the, play the roots in, in, uh, in, in octaves or in, play the fifths, you know. You take the fifth, you take the, the root. And, uh, and then he would go, let's hear it. And then uh, this one time we hit him with it, bam, and he just fell on the ground. That's awesome. And he just laid on the ground like he was like sprawled out like with his arms wide open, you know, and he just laid there for a minute and we laughed. We laughed. It was like the greatest compliment ever. He loved to he loved to challenge everybody like he would try to push people to their threshold, you know, and see. And he, he was so creative and thinking outside the box all the time. It was really cool. And he would say things to me like, let's make history. And I was like, yeah. I looked at him, I did a double take, and I was like, no one's ever said that to me before. <laughs> like, are we in the middle of a Mighty Ducks movie right now? <laughs> like, <laughs> quack, quack, quack. <laughs> Get the horn section doing that. They are in a V. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, man, and then what happened was was crazy as it was. We went and did that, you know, and it didn't dawn on me that we made history until after he was gone. Yeah, man. And you know, yeah. we were man. That's good. We were we were the only time we were the only eleven piece horn section <clears throat> he ever put together. We were <clears throat> certainly the the biggest show that he had ever played um, at Montreux Jazz Festival yeah. or anywhere. That was all documented, and um, and we played a lot of his B cuts. We also played on the last song on the last Prince record. <clears throat> it's called Big City. It's on Phase Two. And um, and we really made our mark. We made history with that with that horn section for sure. And uh, I just I just had no idea that was that was like what was going to happen when he said it. I was just so taken back. That's awesome. That's dope. Okay, so you're on this last question. Thank you so much. You've been wonderful. Yeah. Thank you for your time. Hope you've had a good time. We've had a blast. Uh, okay, so you're on tour, either solo or you know whoever you're with. You're just you're on tour. You go into a gas station. What is your gas station snack food of choice? And while you're thinking of it, I'll tell you mine. I get a Three Musketeers candy bar. When I was growing up, my mom would say you could have any candy bar you want, and that's the most ounces. They're all the same price, <laughs> so I would get the most ounces. I get a Three Musketeers bar. What's your gas station snack food of choice? choice. I'm going to disappoint you guys so much on this. I'm a bit of a hippie, so I'm going to I'm going to look. I'm going to scour for like some kombucha. Okay. Oh man, no, that doesn't disappoint. Nobody's yeah. used that word before yeah. on here. <laughs> 
kombucha, and then I'm going to look for some kind bars. But if I'm feeling wild, then I'm going for Reese's Peanut Butter okay, Cups. Okay, there you go. So. At least we know you've got a wild side in there where you can get a little... <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. There's been there's been alcohol in the mix, and it's late and at night. There might be some Reese's peanut butter cups. <laughs> I, I thought you were gonna tell us your gas station alcohol, like give me a Milwaukee's best or something like that. I'd be like, whoa, Phil, did not see that one. <laughs> yeah, man. Right. Uh, Thank you so much. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Thanks, you guys. Hope everybody go out and listen to the Live and Love records. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. We second that. And then go back. Just go all the way back through the catalog. Get into that uh, river of life. Get into Feel the Fire. Go all the way back. Just just do it all. I appreciate yeah, it's you. Been a blast. It's, it was a lot of fun. Thanks, Thanks man. man. We'll see you. Peace. This is the Great Song Podcast. And that was Philip Lassiter in all of his uh, funny, quirky goodness just loved so much connecting with him and having him on the show. Definitely would love to have him back for something else to we need to we need to get him on and talk about just we need to break down some of his like most famous arranged tracks yeah. that people would go, What? You know what I mean? Yeah, and just good. I loved it. Love to get into more of his uh his work. So and uh, for those of y'all that are just uh, discovering us, this is not what a typical episode is like on the Great right. Song Podcast. This True. is a special series that we're doing where it's mainly focused on the interview. Right. Um, so if you enjoyed this and want to hear us go a little bit deeper on specific songs, feel free to check out what a normal episode sounds like uh, right. in season. This, but this is a lot of fun doing these with some of these people that we love. Yep. We'll be starting season 10 in just a few weeks, uh, but we're hitting you with these little maybe half-length episodes, interview-focused episodes, uh, but typically our deep dive involve some stuff with jp makes me play games and makes me feel bad about my musical knowledge uh and just general knowledge we talk a lot about horses sometimes and uh a lot of shirt conversation yeah you just you just never know um but we're focusing on interviews here between seasons as we gear up for season 10 and some other things that we're working on um so we just want to keep you in the loop so that you don't totally go away between seasons you know that we're still here we still love you and you know what we care about you deeply, you know, <laughs> like sometimes, um, I don't know. I was going to get into like a divorce thing. Like <laughs> we still love each other. Like, <laughs> you know, I just want you to know, even though we live in different places now, <laughs> we still love each other and we're, we're still here whenever you need us. Um, and we believe in your education and we want you to have all the best. It's just that we can't live in the same house. The you know? John, John P. Key fans are completely confused. <laughs> they were like, what? Still. Oh, man. All right. Uh, we're going to see you again next week. But first, drop what you're doing. I don't care if you're signing a bill in Congress, unless maybe if it's super important. If you're about to put the pen to like a super major thing. But let's be honest. Sign it with your offhand and use your strong hand. Yes. <laughs> Can you imagine? Like, I don't honestly, I don't really know who signs these bills. I guess it's the president. Right. Maybe. He's and I don't know if he's right handed or left handed. So he switched his hands and then he's got a phone in his the other the hand, the good hand, hand subscribing to the Great Song Podcast, going to Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Great Song Pod and hitting that follow button. <laughs> going to the Facebook group, Great Songs and the Great People Who Love Them Greatly, uh, and going to Patreon.com <laughs> slash Great Song Pod. Thank you, President Biden, right. Thank for you, the President. support. That's right. For the support. We really appreciate it. That that um three dollars a month is gonna make <laughs> All the difference in the world, $5, I don't know, whatever, whatever it is, um, it's going to make a huge difference. Much more important than that piece of legislation you're about to sign <laughs> so poorly with your offhand. Right. Can you imagine the, like, you know, you always end up with these, like, beautiful signatures and whatever, and then he's got one that looks like it might as well have been done in crayon. They're like, who's John Barron? <laughs> 
this? He's like, I'm sorry, guys. I was listening to this podcast. It was amazing. It was great. And I just had to throw him some support. So uh, thank you, President Biden and all the all the listeners of uh, every political <laughs> ilk who tune in every week and love what we do. It means so much to us. We'll see you again next week with another fascinating interview behind the scenes of the music industry. Uh, until then, I'm Rob. I am JP. Go listen to some music.